My name is Amy Abraham, and I am the host of the Bliss Podcast. Each episode will feature ways to find wellness and happiness in your life. We will explore different trends and approaches that support a positive well-being of the whole person, mind, body, and soul. With each interesting topic, I will be interviewing experts within that field as well as adding my own personal experiences. If you're looking for more happiness in your life, Bliss is the podcast for you. Hello, Blisseners, and welcome to episode 15. Bliss has reached over 1,000 plays this past week, and I am so grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you for trusting me and giving you advice on how to live a more blissful life. Bliss would not be thriving if it wasn't for you, so I thank you. This week, I share a phone conversation I had with Fern Tausig. Fern Tausig is a hypnotist who guides her clients in becoming the person they want to be through hypnocoaching. This episode is jam-packed with information about how the subconscious and logical brain work. You will learn about how hypnotism works, how your mind works in relation to habits, and you will learn ways in which you can gain control of your well-being. In this episode, Fern and I discuss how hypnotism can help you achieve your goals and live a happier life. Enjoy! Welcome to Bliss, Fern. I'm so happy to chat with you today. Thank you so much. It's really a joy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a hypnotist? Yeah, so I was a health teacher for um, of, for 35 years. I retired as teaching health, and I was always into alternative health, uh, natural ways to help my students to understand about, you know, reducing stress and how to improve their quality of life with a positive attitude. And as I was getting ready to leave teaching, one of my friends told me that I can't retire unless I have a passion. And I said at the time that I really like chocolate chip cookies, but yeah, yeah. it didn't count. <laughs> so um, I had another friend who was a, a hypnotist before she became a social worker, and I knew she did amazing things. And she just said to me, why don't you take the course and see what you think? And I took the course about 15 years ago. It, it's a short course. It was really only about 100 hours. And then, of course, I spent a year practicing. But after I was at the course for probably an hour, it just changed my life. When you learn about the power that you have over your own mind, it's so amazing that I, I have a passion now that is so exciting. And it's changed not only my life, but the life of everybody around me that has to hear me and listen to me, oh. beginning with my own children. So, wow. yeah, it, it's been a wonderful experience. Where did you take this training? So, um, it's through the National Guild of Hypnotists, there was a teacher who was in New Haven, and he offered it through a gateway. Wow. Um, so it's not a regular offering a gateway, but he was teaching at the time, and it was offered through gateway, and he actually had the class at his home, and it was two long weekends. It was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, two weeks in a row, nine to five, um, with homework and books, and and then I spent a year practicing on anybody that would let me practice on them, <laughs> and um, and then I began to charge money, and it was just very exciting. 
Good for you. That's exciting. I'm a teacher also, so I'm wondering what my passion will be when I retire. <laughs> I know. Well you, well, you know, you're lucky you could begin thinking about it now. Yeah, that's true. So as the host of the Bliss Podcast, I feel it is my duty to introduce my listeners to as many avenues towards happiness and bliss as possible. Typically, when people hear hypnotism, they imagine a person walking around quacking like a duck. Can you explain to our audience what exactly hypnotism is? So I can explain the quacking like a duck part first. Okay. Because, <laughs> because I get that a lot. Um, and basically, you... You see hypnosis shows, and people think, oh, they're either fake or, oh, my gosh, that is so crazy and amazing. Mm -hmm. And the hypnosis shows are all real. If you have a group of 100 people, there's probably a solid 20 people in the room that can, be, that can go into hypnosis instantly with the snap of a finger and a few words. Wow. And so when a hypnotist does a show, they can test the audience and invite them up and and they get to actually test them with little cute little tests to see who is most hypnotizable. And those that are most hypnotizable make great subjects and great entertaining. Mm. So hypnosis is really, technically, it's bypassing your very conscious critical mind to communicate directly with the unconscious part of your mind. Mm. And people go into hypnosis in a very natural way all day. For example, when you're driving in the car and you get somewhere and you say to yourself, what happened to the past hour? I, it went by so fast, I don't even remember driving and here I am. Mm. Or people go to the movies and they believe everything happening on the screen is real. Yeah. And then the lights go on, they leave and they're like, that was very cool. So we drift into this trance-like state even when we daydream, when our mind begins to wander, it's a very natural state that happens. It also happens when people feel very overwhelmed. So if you think about a time, when, and I know you did as a teacher, you come home and you just think to yourself, my brain is fried, I can't do one more thing, and you just sit down and you crash. So mm. what happens at that time, if you can imagine your brain, and if you could imagine that there's a conscious mind and an unconscious mind, Sometimes unconscious is referred to as subconscious. I would say they're interchangeable for most purposes. Okay. And between your conscious and unconscious mind is a barrier of sorts. And that barrier is there to protect the things, all the stuff in your unconscious mind. Because your unconscious mind does not know the difference between reality or fantasy, right or wrong, good or bad. It only knows what you tell it. Okay. So, for example, if I said to you, you have really ugly purple hair, I don't like purple hair, your logical brain would say, this lady's crazy, get me out of here, I don't have purple hair. Mm. But if you didn't have that logical brain, then your barrier would not be there to say that doesn't make sense, and it would go right into your unconscious mind, and you would feel bad that I don't like your hair <laughs> because it's purple. And if you were five years old, that barrier or that conscious mind is not really established yet. And so you'd go running home to mommy and say, mommy, she said I have ugly purple hair. And you'd say, but you don't have purple hair. But you couldn't logically understand that because children don't have the ability to be logical. That's why they still believe in Santa Claus. Right, right. And that's why they learn so fast and so well because your unconscious mind is like a sponge. And you just soak up everything. And that's why kids 
up until age, you know, eight or nine, can learn three different languages without even a second thought. If they live in a home where there's where people are bilingual or they go somewhere else, they just learn so quickly because there's no conscious barrier getting in the way of their just believing everything. So, wow. so hypnosis is my ability to help a person bring down that barrier so that their logical brain kind of zones out <clears throat> and I can speak directly to their unconscious mind. And so with a, hypno with a hypnosis show, a person tells that unconscious mind that you are feeling very, very hot, that the temperature is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And because there's no logical brain that says, no, it's not, I'm feeling fine, your unconscious mind believes it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and since that's where your autonomic system is, your brain begins to make you sweat and you feel really hot. Wow. And then if I say to you, but it's freezing in here, it's getting colder and colder, you'll begin to shiver because I'm communicating with the part of your brain that believes it's freezing and you begin to shiver because your autonomic system, the part that makes your heart beat and your blood flow and makes you sweat and shiver is all in your unconscious mind. Hmm. That's so, so interesting. This is actually the ability to bypass that conscious critical mind to allow you to only um, communicate with the part of their brain where their habits are, where their emotions are, where their beliefs are. Because a belief is really just a thought that you repeat over and over again. Right. It doesn't mean it's true. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about the things that people believe and who, where would they get that belief from? So people that believe that they're not good enough or believe that they're fat or believe that they're, you know, not attractive, somebody told them that. Mm. And it somehow filtered into their unconscious mind and it became a belief, even though it could be ridiculously not true. I mean, there are women who are beautiful that don't know it because somebody, when they were five or ten, must have said to them, you're ugly and stupid. And so they feel ugly and stupid. It's, it's as simple as that. And people allow insults somehow to filter into their unconscious mind and then it becomes their own belief. And it's, so with hypnosis, it's so much easier than you would imagine to make changes. Wow. So I'm, when, you, <laughs> when you mentioned earlier about um, maybe 20 people would be able to be hypnotized my next question for you is, is, can anyone be hypnotized? So why would it only be such a, like, why, why would, um, how is it different for each person to be hypnotized? Okay, so it's not that only 20 people can be hypnotized. 20 people can be hypnotized with the snap of a finger in a moment with just a few words. Mm -hmm. So anybody, so, so the people that can't be hypnotized are people that can't follow directions very well, who refuse to follow directions, um, who refuse to, um, to allow me to guide them into hypnosis. So that's why the most important part of my session is really the first hour where I establish rapport with a person. And establishing rapport is very important because without rapport, a person isn't going to be willing to allow me to feel um, to, to let them feel comfortable with me. So the first hour is always the educational portion, so I explain to them what um, 
what hypnosis is, what mm-hmm. hypnosis isn't, to really give them an opportunity to be able to feel comfortable with me. And then we establish goals, and I'm very careful to stick with those goals. So if, I, if a person came to me, not for entertainment, because when you go to a show, you know that there are silly things that are going to happen. So you have to be willing to do those things. And the people that show up, they are willing. So when a person comes to me, they are willing to be helped. Mm-hmm. And they believe or they're desperate for help. And therefore, they allow me to use my skills and hypnosis to help them. So there's very few people that can't be hypnotized. And my goal is, of course, to teach people how to really hypnotize themselves. So wow. that they don't need me anymore. You know, And sometimes people have been in therapy for 10 years. And they'll come to me and they'll say, I feel guilty because I have to break up with my hypnotist because I, I'm sorry, I have to break up with my therapist because I feel better after one session of hypnosis than I have in 10 years of therapy. Wow. Because the person in therapy can only talk to your conscious mind. Right. And there's no answers there. The conscious mind is logical, rational, analytical, but that has nothing to do with the deep-seated life experiences that created those things happen in your brain. So just to give you an example of what hypnosis is, for example, and how the brain works, the very first time you ever learned to ride a bike, your brain was making a recording of the event. And that recording was called a neural pathway. And a neural pathway, you may have heard that expression, is in your brain. And there's obviously millions of them because every time you do something for the first time, your brain records it. And the second time you got on a bike, your brain says, oh, this is familiar. And riding the bike a little easier. And every time you get on that bike, that neural pathway gets thicker and stronger. Almost becomes like from a single fiber to a cable network. Right. And becomes very, very strong. If you don't get on a bike for 10 years, you get on a bike, you know exactly how to do it because it's in there. Right. And when you go to the movies, sometimes the movie strikes you in a certain way. It hits a chord because of a neural pathway of a life experience that you had, it triggers that and you feel those feelings. And did you ever notice when you're driving in the car and a song comes on from when you were a teenager, mm. it immediately triggers a time when you heard the song and you feel like you felt the day you heard that song as a teenager. Yes, all the time. <laughs> it's really interesting that that's the way the brain works and you have all these neural pathways. And these are in the unconscious mind, right? That's right. It's okay. all in your unconscious mind. All your life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly, are all in your unconscious mind. In fact, I do a lot of work with people. They come to me because they have to take a big test, whether it's the SATs or whether it's the, you know, a big licensing exam. And people sometimes have test anxiety. And I teach them that anxiety is nothing more than your brain's attempt to protect you. So if you're in danger, if you feel that there's danger somewhere, your brain triggers your adrenal glands and it starts pumping adrenaline. And when adrenaline is pumping, your heart pounds and your muscles get tight and you get more thirsty and and your breathing increases, you know, speed mm-hmm. increases, feels like stress, it feels like anxiety, it's just adrenaline. So I teach my clients how to shut off the adrenaline by taking long, slow, deep breaths and by assuring them that anything they ever learned is already in their unconscious mind. And if they don't know the answer when they first look at it, they have a choice. You could say to yourself, 
uh-oh, I don't know this, I'm going to fail, under which circumstance you will fail because you tell yourself you don't know it, you don't know it. Mm. Or if you say to yourself, it's in there, I know it, it'll come to me in a minute, you go on to the next one, five minutes later, it comes bubbling to the surface, what you already learn is in there and it comes to you. And so it's so easy to teach a person how to reduce anxiety during a test because when you are anxious, it's not that different than the way a person feels on a roller coaster. If you and I are on a roller coaster together and at the scariest time I said to you, how much is 17 times three? You'd say, shut up, I don't know. Because the part of your brain that does math doesn't work when you are in that panic, fight or flight mode like on a roller coaster. Mm. And that's what happens when people sit down to take a test they go into that roller coaster mode and the part of their brain that thinks doesn't work because they're in that panic mode. Right. You teach them how to shut off the adrenaline and the answers come right to them and people are shocked at how well they do. Wow. That's very interesting. I would like to learn a little bit more about that. I can help my students at school if they're feeling... Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, that's really helpful. So, I can tell you what you could say to your students that would be helpful. Oh, tell me. Give them a test. You just say to them, you know what? Please don't tell anybody, but I made this test really easy. I didn't realize how easy it was <laughs> till this morning. And I just, when you finish it, just, you know, put your head down and just, just do it and do well because I know that you know this stuff. But I, I didn't do anything trickier to make it hard. It's just, it's just going to tell me what you know. And I, and I apologize. It's a little bit easier than I would have normally made a test. Totally brings down their anxiety, and they take it with anticipation that oh, I'm going to do really well. Right, that's great. That's a great tip. Thank you for sharing. So, um, what are the typical reasons why people will come see you for a hypnotism session? You know, interestingly, there is no typical reason because people come to me for so many things. If you think about it, people have trouble sleeping. People don't eat properly. People have issues with you know, with smoking or bad habits or negative thoughts or poor self-esteem or trauma or they really hate somebody or they want to get past a bad relationship or there's so many things, you know, fear of flying, fear of anything. Hmm. They're just habits and patterns that create in your brain. So so one of the reasons why you don't have to learn how to use your cell phone every time you pick it up is because your brain creates a neural pathway and after a few times, it becomes an automatic pattern. Right. And so you have many patterns in your brain for the way you brush your teeth, the way you eat, the way you drink, the way you think, the way you approach stress, the way you do anything. They're just really, I could call them habits, but they're patterns. Mm-hmm. And so using so many different techniques where we interrupt that pattern and create a new neural pathway or a new pattern, it's just an amazing science that teaching you how to use the science of your brain if you begin to think uncomfortable thoughts when you stop to take a test because you're like uh oh you know etc etc you just stop that thought replace it with a new thought and the next thing you know that you are feeling better and differently because thoughts create feelings and feelings create behaviors mm-hmm. so the most common things that you would imagine are you know weight loss and smoking but it's really the favorite thing that I do is anxiety because so many people have anxiety unnecessarily because anxiety is about something real that happened a long time ago and it's over but Mm. it created that brain that neural pathway in your brain and when something happens that triggers it 
and your brain says, oh, this is familiar, it just makes you respond the same way you felt the first time that happened. So let's say, for example, you were five years old and mommy and daddy were screaming at each other. Well, you created that neural pathway and you are really scared. Yeah. Because you're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Every other fear you had to learn. It's developed, yeah. And so when mommy and daddy are screaming at each other, that is very scary. <clears throat> you actually become traumatized in a way. And then everything's fine. And the next time something scary happens, your brain says, oh, this is familiar. And you actually feel the same way you felt when you were five years old and mommy and daddy screamed at each other. So your brain doesn't like to make new neural pathways. So every time something familiar happens, it, it makes that other one bigger and bigger. And by the time you get to be 20, 30, or 40, you have full-blown anxiety. And every time you feel anxious, you feel the same way you felt when you were five years old helpless, scared, and out of control, mm. even though you were grown up. But that's what anxiety is. It is a triggering of something that happened a very long time ago. That's why in hypnosis, we're able to go back to reframe it, fix it, let you know that you're fine, you turned out fine, and everything's okay, mm -hmm. and now it's gone. It's quite amazing, but that's the science of the mind. Hypnosis is a science, even though it's an inexact science, like medicine is an art and a science, so is hypnosis. Does it have to be something in the past, like really far away, that might that is something that's settled in your brain, or is it could it be something only a couple of years ago? If it's something that traumatized you, and that's a word that just means created a really powerful um, neural pathway, then yeah, it could be a little. You know, people, for example, that experience post traumatic stress because of something awful that happened, you know, a car accident or whatever. Yeah, yeah it could be something like that, definitely. Yeah, and then some, but sometimes it is mostly when you're in your childhood, when you're first developing those fears. Yeah, and even though it may have not, uh, you know, so interesting, people come to me, for example, for a, a fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. My experience has showed me that probably 85% of them, it's something that happened in either third, fourth, or fifth grade, where the teacher called on them, and they either didn't know the answer, or they gave the wrong answer, or they weren't paying attention, and the kids laughed. Yeah. And so what I do in hypnosis is I bring them back to the day before that event. I tell them that tomorrow something in school is going to happen. Everybody's going to laugh and you're going to laugh too. And even though you didn't know the answer, you're going to realize that it was just silly and it's a, et cetera, et cetera. And I give them all kinds of things. And then I'll count from one to three and you're going to go through that event. It's going to be much different. They redo it in their brain much differently. And that fear of public speaking is gone. Oh my gosh. It's like magic. I know. <laughs> I know. I love this work. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. Is this something that you can do over the phone with your clients? Or does it oh, have to absolutely. be? Mm. Absolutely. In fact, there's hypnotists all over the world that no longer do um, that no longer do face-to-face. -face. They only do it online, either with Skype or, or um, sometimes just on the phone. I remember early in my career, my son was and one of his friends wanted to stop smoking. Mm -hmm. So um, I think we did it with Skype. And um, I was able to see him so I could monitor his breathing and tell if he was exactly where I needed him to be in terms of relaxation. And I uh, got him to stop smoking in about a half hour on the phone. Oh, my gosh. So when you say that you got him to stop smoking, what's happening in his brain? That he, you're just creating new patterns that he doesn't okay, feel like he needs, question. that he okay, doesn't need to smoke? Happens. Okay. 
So the very first time you have a cigarette, your brain makes a recording of the event. Right. One part of your brain is saying, what are you doing? Your mother's going to kill you, you idiot. This is stupid. <laughs> and the other part of your brain is saying, shut up. We're going to be cool. So your unconscious mind, because we are very often driven by emotion, believes that you're going to be really cool if you have that cigarette. Mm -hmm. So you have the cigarette. And you feel really cool because you fit in. And then the next time you have a cigarette, your brain says, this is familiar. I know how to do it. I don't have to cough anymore or I'm not going to feel disgusted by it. Like the first time it's disgusting. Right. And then every time you have a cigarette, that neural pathway gets thicker and thicker. But what happens is the things you say to yourself, which is, I need a cigarette. Mm. Or, oh my gosh, I need a cigarette. Or I'm so upset, give me a cigarette. Or I need a cigarette. Every time you <laughs> say that, your brain records that. And it gets stronger and stronger. Right. So there's a part of your brain that believes that you need a cigarette in order to feel better. Now, the interesting thing about your unconscious mind, which I'm not sure that I mentioned, is that it doesn't know the difference between reality or fantasy, right or wrong, good or bad. Mm. That's why when you go to the movies and you watch the brain, you, I'm sorry, you watch the movie in trance, you believe everything happening on the screen is real. Yeah. And then when, because the barrier comes down and you're watching it with your unconscious mind that doesn't know the difference between reality or fantasy. And so when the, and the movie's over and you say, wow, that was really good. If you're less than eight years old, before that barrier is developed, you don't know what you're seeing on the screen is fake. You think it's all real. That's hmm. why I think it's awful that Bambi has traumatized children throughout the history of the world. Oh, Bambi. <clears throat> right. So when a person, you know, starts smoking, they develop this habit, this pattern, that a cigarette makes them feel better. Then they get to be 20, and they're like, I need a break, I need a cigarette. Then they get to be 30, oh my gosh, I need a cigarette. And they never develop coping skills. Because when they're feeling stressed or upset, they reach for a cigarette. And so their brain believes that the cigarette is helping even though you and I both know it's having the opposite effect. But yeah. your unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between reality or fantasy, right or wrong, good or bad. It only knows what you tell it, what you programmed it to believe. A person comes to me to stop smoking, and, and they really want to stop, but they feel powerless over that part of their brain. And I will tell them, do you know that the part of your brain that wants to smoke is not trying to kill you? The part of your brain that wants to smoke has been programmed to believe that it's helping you to deal with stress and to feel better. Mm. But obviously, it's a mistake because cigarettes are like cancer sticks or right. death. And so by bringing down that barrier, and I tell that part of their brain, thank you so much for helping me deal with stress by smoking all those years. But I realize now that was a mistake. And now I have some other ways that I'm going to deal with stress without smoking. And, of course, we list those in advance before the session right. of things that... And we also... Your unconscious mind is very creative. Even in hypnosis, I'll say to them, allow your unconscious mind to now come up with five ways that you could cope with stress mm. without smoking. Think about all the people you know that cope with stress without smoking. And so we give them a new... Um, neural pathway, a new way to respond to stress, and they walk out of my 
my session, most often, probably 85 to 90% of the people walk out in one session as a non-smoker. Oh my gosh. I bet you the unconscious <laughs> thoughts, uh, the, their new plans are probably very creative and they probably would never have thought, it's probably something they never thought they would ever think of when they're in that hypnosis. They didn't, they and, didn't have to because they programmed their brain that whenever they felt stressed, they have a cigarette. Right. I'm, I, I was saying that the, your new, the new goals like or new strategies to um, help with the stress, I bet you some of the ideas that they come through or that come through their unconscious brain are things that they probably never even thought of. Exactly. I, like they're more creative. Or... Because I believe in giving them a replacement behavior because mm-hmm. it's good to have something else to do. And I always replace the smoking habit with water. Mm. Because when people smoke, they don't really smoke. They suck on that cigarette. Right. So I really call them suckers. Uh. They're really suckers. And I tell them, you've been a sucker for the tobacco company. You don't want to be a sucker for the cancer industry. Right. And so when you drink water, either through a straw or a bottle or even in a cup, you suck on that water. Right. So it gives your hand something to do, your mouth something to do. And drinking water is a wonderful replacement mm-hmm. for that smoking habit. And it also has a dual purpose because it washes and kind of cleans all those cells that have been poisoned. Exactly. So between taking deep breaths, which is also similar to the smoking part, mm. and drinking water, they have, those are the skills that I give them. They come up with things like exercise and, mm. you know, music, and they come up with other things. Yeah. But the idea is that um, when people go outside to have a cigarette, it's not the cigarette that relaxes them. It's the way they smoke, which is they take really deep breaths. And hmm. deep breathing is a wonderful way to shut off the stress. So it's it's um it's kind of a dual thing. They give the credit to the cigarette when it's really the break, it's the fresh air and the breathing. That wow. Makes me feel better. I never thought of it that way. Can you share some? I know you you just I mentioned your son's friend with a success story. Do you have any other success stories that you that you wanted to share? You know. I have about a million. But I know, I it sounds like it. One of my most interesting, fun stories. How's that? Okay. So a guy came to me a long time ago because he told me that he believes he's an alcoholic, but he only drinks because he has anxiety. And he has a fear of heights and he has a fear of death. So I did my normal thing. I um, hypnotized him. And generally what a hypnotist does is they use regression to bring them back to their childhood to try to find out when was the very first time they ever had that terrible, scary feeling that they call anxiety. Mm -hmm. And they usually go right to it. They usually know exactly what it is. And when you can identify the first time, you can fix it, and then it's gone. It's called the initial sensitizing event. Now, if a person has been, you know, violently raped or experienced something terrible, when, if they get there, what I would do is I would give them a suggestion that when they come out of hypnosis, they'll have no memory of anything that happened in hypnosis. I've only done that three times in my entire career. So you generally memorize, remember everything when you come out of hypnosis. Hmm. So this one guy, I said to him, go back in your mind, in hypnosis, of course, to the very first time you ever felt that terrible, out of control, scared, panicky feeling. And where are you? He said, I'm on the dining room table. I'm six months old, and my parents have me pinned down, and there's a guy in a white coat giving me a shot. He said, I'm very sick, and my parents are afraid I'm going to die. Oh, my gosh. And I said to him, did you die? He said, no. 
And so, believe it or not, there went the fear of death. But he didn't remember that he was six when he was six months old, he was sick. But in hypnosis, I'm able to go directly into the unconscious mind where all of these things are. And so it made sense that he had a fear of death because even at six months old, we don't even understand what six months old understand, do we? Mm. But at six months old, this kid knew his parents were afraid he was gonna die. And that's when his fear of death began. That's when that neural pathway was created, okay? Wow. So I said to him, is this a new experience or is this a familiar experience? He said, this is a new, this is a familiar feeling which meant he's had it before. So I'm wondering what could have happened before six months old. So I said, okay, I want you to go back to the very first time you ever had that terrible, scared, out of control feeling. And where are you? He said, I'm at the top of the Alps. I'm climbing the Alps. Why are you scared? He said, because it's really slippery and I'm not wearing good shoes. I said, okay, well fast forward to what happens next. He said, I'm walking into a cottage. I said, why are you walking into the cottage? He said, because I'm home. So I said, so you did not fall off the mountain? He said, no. Okay, I brought him out of hypnosis and he said to me, what was that? I have never been to the Alps. And so I said to him, oh, oh, by the way, then he said to me, well, he said, I'm, I'm climbing the Alps. He said, and I'm wearing a plaid skirt with suspenders and a stupid looking hat. And I said, are you a female? He said, no, I'm a male. So I said, okay, came out of hypnosis. He said, what was that? I have never been to the Alps and I have never worn a plaid skirt. Oh my gosh. I said, well, I believe it was a past life experience. And he said, well, I don't believe in past lives because it's against my religion. I said, okay, well, close your eyes and imagine you're at the top of a ladder because by the way, his job was on a ladder. And of course, remember I told you he had a fear of height. I said, imagine you're at the top of a ladder from zero to 10, what is your discomfort level? Because the first time I asked him, it was a 10. Mm. He said it's a zero. So I said, well, I guess it doesn't really matter what you believe. <gasps> the fear is gone. So his fear of death and his fear of heights was gone in one session, and he didn't have to drink anymore, and he was able to go back and do his job. That's one of my very, very fun success stories. Wow. But I have people that come to me that are afraid to drive on the highway, people that come to me that have fears of public speaking, um, I had another really interesting uh, story that was a similar experience and that a woman told me that she she would date, she was, you know, was dating people and when she would get to a certain part in the relationship, she would always break up with them. And she never gave herself a chance to really, to go further and to really be in love. It's like she was afraid to go any further. Mm -hmm. And so I hypnotized her and... She, in her in her session, she went back to a time when she was on a date with a guy and they were in his car and she described the car as a car like from the 30s. It was really interesting. She said she described the car really well and he, they went somewhere and he parked the car and he tried to put some moves on her and she panicked and she got scared and she slapped him and he drove to a certain spot on the highway and told her to get out. Oh my gosh. And he left her there. And, um, and of course, you know, she had to get home somehow. I don't, I don't know how far we went in the session, but it turns out that that's what happened. That's what created her fear of becoming too close 
with somebody was based on this neural pathway in her unconscious mind of something that happened. And then she said to me, I can't, I have no idea where that came from. And again, I said, it could be a past life experience. So there are even hypnotists that don't believe in past lives, but they do the work anyway, because whether or not it's true, the therapeutic value is the same. So whether you believe in past Mm. lives or not, doesn't matter. If that's where the session takes you, the results are always success. Who cares if I could certify to you that it was a past life? It's kind of irrelevant. Mm. I'm wondering if it could be like um, a movie. I'm thinking about like, like children, if they watch a movie when they're three or four and like you were saying that they, they can't um, differentiate if it's realistic or not, maybe they experience that character's emotion thinking that it happened to them. You know what? It is certainly possible, but I'll tell you something very interesting that was on 60 Minutes more than 20 years ago because I remember that I, uh, or maybe it was on, it was on one of those shows because I... I videotaped it and I used to show it to my students so and you could find it on YouTube if you went on YouTube and looked up a three-year-old reincarnated um, and World War two mm-hmm. um, or you could even use the name James you could do it any way you want this the, the clip is still on YouTube it's a story of a, of a boy who when he was three years old in a toy store with his mother he had this fascination of air with airplanes and he had a fascination with World War II airplanes and with everything to do with World War II. And he picked up a plane in the store, toy store and underneath the plane was this big thing hanging down. His mother said, oh, look, is that the bomb under the plane? He said, no, mom, that's a fuselage. She said, how do you know what a fuselage is? So to make a very long story short, um, this little boy who always referred to himself as James the Third, even though his parents said, no, no, you're just James. There was a story of a, a boy, a, a young, you know, a soldier during World War II, his name was James the Second, who was shot down in World War II, and his buddy, who was in a different plane, saw he was shot down and told the story of how James the Second was shot down. The guy's 80-something years old. His father did all the research, Googled it, and found all the facts the little boy said was true. Oh my and gosh. so the little boy showed exactly on the plane where he'd been shot down. This is, this is where the, the bullet came in. And the mother said, who shot you down? And she said, and the little boy said, the Japs, of course. Oh. So like, he, oh they had a conversation with their parents. And this was, on, this was on TV more than 20 years ago. So, wow. And I'm not convinced trying to convince you to believe in past lives, but there's a lot of really interesting things that have been out there. Wow. That's amazing. Your work must yeah. be so exciting and rewarding. I can't even tell you how exciting and rewarding. I had one woman come to me. She'd been trying for a year to get pregnant. Mm. And she wasn't able to get pregnant. And... Um, Part of the reason was she had such a stressful life. So remember I said, when you're under stress, your body pumps adrenaline. And when your body pumps adrenaline, all your non-essential systems shut down. Your non-essential systems are immune, digestion, reproduction. So while you're on the roller coaster, while you're really scared, those systems don't function. And so I said to her, you're under such stress, let's turn off that stress. And I did all the techniques, with, you know, down, down, down. Anyway, to make a long story short, mm-hmm. 11 days later, she got pregnant. 
Oh my gosh. So even by just shutting off the stress allowed her body to do what it very naturally wants to do anyway. And now the baby is actually a year old. Oh, that's so sweet. So some of my success stories are clients that have lost 100 pounds and people that, you know, get their life back or people that are obsessed with their ex and they don't know how to get over them or help them get past them so it neutralizes the way they feel about it. Mm. People that were traumatized with one way or another, I help them neutralize those traumas. So there's a variety of different ways that um, it just changes people's lives and I know I love this work every day. I have a question here. What would you say to someone who may be skeptical of being hypnotized? But I think just listening to your success stories, I think that, um, you know, they answer themselves, you know. Well, I could tell you about the skepticism. So in in hypnosis training, we learned that there are three things that everybody's afraid of. Number one, they're afraid of giving up control, Mm -hmm. that you're going to be able to control them. And that's actually not true. If they were in hypnosis and I said, pick up a knife and slash the chair, they'd come out of hypnosis and they'd say, I'm not going to do that. So I have no control over somebody. I establish rapport so they trust me to do what we agree that I'm going to do. So I I don't control them. Um, A second fear that people have is that they're going to reveal deep, dark secrets when they're in hypnosis that they were unaware of. Mm. And, And the truth is that if they have deep, dark secrets, that are creating anxiety or fear or problems that once they're out, they don't have that anxiety anymore. So they may be some deep, dark secrets that they need to get out. And if they were really terrible things, like I said, I would give them a post-hypnotic suggestion that they won't remember them anymore. Because once I fix it and do the work, there's really no benefit in them remembering that this terrible thing happened to them. And another fear that people have is they could get stuck in hypnosis. Well, that's not true either. You know, it's, <laughs> it's something that you go into, and then if I, if I were gone and if I, you know, left them in hypnosis, probably in five, maybe ten minutes of feeling really wonderfully relaxed, they would just kind of drift out of it. So mm. those are some of the fears that people have about hypnosis. And the skepticism, you know, is because they don't really understand about it and they right. don't really have the knowledge and information. And some religions um, discourage you from being hypnotized because they tell you that, uh, I don't know, whatever religions tell people to make them scared. <laughs> you know, so, um, so there's a lot of people that just don't get help because they're, they live in fear. Either mm. because their religious person said, don't do it. It's dangerous or whatever or people that just want to have control over you in other ways and it's it's a shame and by the time people come to me they are desperate they've right. done everything else tried everything else and um and they just are regretful that they waited so long because it's so easy and it's such a painless wonderful experience wow I think that, um, you know, thinking before we had this conversation, I was really curious to see how it works. But now that when you mention how simple it sounds, it really seems like, like, duh, like, like you just have to rewire your brain or, or find new patterns. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's exactly rewiring your brain. And, you know, when I was in training for hypnosis and I learned that a belief is just a thought that you repeat over and over again, it doesn't mean it's true. Right. I said to my teacher, could I believe I'm beautiful? 
Uh. My mother told me I was beautiful, but I thought she was overcompensating. And my husband told me I was beautiful, but I thought, yeah, that's all about him. Nobody ever pointed at me and said, wow, she's beautiful. But that's okay. I mean, I did fine, but I never felt beautiful. And we all know about the beautiful people. They're all around us. So my teacher said, you could believe anything you want. All you have to do is repeatedly tell yourself what you want to believe. So I would sing in the shower, I feel pretty, oh, so pretty. And I would look <laughs> in the mirror and I would say, you are beautiful inside and out. And I became beautiful. That's amazing. I didn't change the way I look, and I didn't even have to get plastic surgery. Uh. <laughs> but I believe I'm beautiful. So if you know how your brain works, by right. repeating something over and over and over and over again, which, by the way, most people's repetition is negative self-talk. Right. And I tell people, you're already doing hypnosis. It's just a negative <laughs> Yeah, a downward if spiral. you know that by repeating something over and over again, you could change your belief and your unconscious mind would make a new neural pathway, wow. I mean, even for people tell me that they can't sleep, I'll say, why don't you try telling yourself that you can't stay awake? As you're lying in bed, I want you to say to yourself, I can't stay awake, I can't stay awake, I can't stay awake. You will fall asleep. Hmm. Because when they tell themselves that they can't sleep, they can't sleep. Remember that old expression, if you believe that you can, you're right. If you believe that you can't, you're also right. Exactly, yeah. I've, I've that heard that before. all about the brain. Yeah. And so it's so important for me to teach my clients how their brain works. Because your unconscious mind only has two jobs. One is to comfort you, and one is to protect you against danger, real or imagined. Mm. And the way it protects you against danger is by making you feel anxious, by pumping adrenaline, which right. makes you able to run faster and fight, fight. stronger. Exactly. Yeah. Now, this reminds me of meditation a little bit. Is there any connection there? Oh, there is, because there's certain brain waves. There's certain ways to describe your brain waves. So when you are alert and awake, those brain waves are called beta waves. You're very, the way you are right now. Mm-hmm. If I were to put your brain, hook your brain up to an EEG machine, they would register as beta waves, very fast up and down lines. And when you go home and put your feet up after a hard day's work, your brain slows down as your body slows down. And if I recorded those brain waves, they would be alpha waves. And right before you fall asleep at night, you know when you're in that that zoned out, half awake, half asleep state? Mm -hmm. Those are called theta waves. And when you're sound asleep and not dreaming, your brain is represented by delta waves. They're kind of like wavy waves as opposed to short little, you know, And so delta is sleep, but theta and alpha are both states of hypnosis. And alpha Mm. and theta are both states of meditation. So the difference between meditation and hypnosis is that meditation you do by yourself just to go into that trance-like state to clear your mind, and hypnosis is like a meditative state with a purpose or a goal or a coach. Hmm. So I can communicate with your unconscious mind while you're in that meditative state. So they're very similar. Actually, even prayer is very similar to hypnosis. And I can tell you that when you go to your place of worship, if you do, that that person puts you into a trance, into hypnosis, and you believe everything they're saying is true. Just like when you go to the movies. 
Right. Just like when you go to the doctor. When you go to a doctor, your logical conscious mind, for most people, not all, just kind of becomes overwhelmed because you have no idea what's going on because you're not a doctor. So you totally bring down the boundary or the border and everything he tells you, you believe. Mm. That's why if a doctor tells you you have six months to live, many people die in six months. Except those people that say, really? Well, watch me. And they go and they live 10 more years. Right. So, you know, when a doctor says this certain things to me, I always say, wait, what do you mean? And how do you know? And what if you're wrong? You know, so I don't just automatically let things in without getting a second opinion or without really, you know, being critical. Mm-hmm. You never, you always want to question authority. You don't want to just take anything on blind faith. And, um, and so that's again, understanding the way your brain works. You know, if when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like you just can't handle something, your boundary, your border goes down mm. and your unconscious mind takes over. So think about this. A person is trying to lose weight. <clears throat> and the reason they can't lose weight is because every time they feel stressed, they eat. Every time they are upset, they eat. Or they feel like they're addicted to sugar or junk or chocolate because it makes them feel high like cocaine. Right. Because sugar and fat affects your brain the same way cocaine was, does. So people that don't want to use drugs sometimes use food, sometimes use alcohol, and they sometimes feel addicted to it. Now, alcohol is a physical as well as a psychological addiction. Um, And, you know, people, of course, stop drinking. It's just that it's always a struggle. You know, it's always something that they need to be mindful of, that that I, um, I have no desire to drink they need to tell themselves that every day so that it becomes a new belief. And they can't have one drink because if they have one drink, that neural pathway opens up like riding a bike. They easily go back to being an alcoholic. But when it comes to junk food, what happens is people that can't handle stress, they handle stress with food. And so what they actually do, I had a woman just the other day that said to me, I come home from work and I go to the pantry and I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm eating all the crackers and cookies that I could find. And I said to her, it's because your logical brain just couldn't handle one more thing after your tough day, and you went into trance. And your unconscious mind only wants to comfort you. And there's a pattern or a belief or a habit in your brain that says, cookies make you feel good, cake makes you feel good, and just give her whatever she needs to make her feel better. So when people are doing those things that they don't want to do, but they're, they feel out of control, it's because they're actually in a trance-like state. That's so interesting. So we have to change their relationship with cookies. I help my clients lose weight, not by dieting, but by helping them change their relationship with food and change their relationship with their body. And therefore, it's not that they can't have that cookie. When I'm done with them, they don't want that cookie because it's junk and because it's fat and because sugar is the number one nutrient that feeds all the yeast, fungus, bacteria, and cancer cells in your body and nobody wants cancer. Mm. So there's a variety of different approaches for each person that comes in with something different. Right, and then in the beginning of your session is when you identify what their needs are or maybe where their um, desires are coming from. I actually help them understand their brain 
and I explain about the barrier in the brain, and then I make a list of goals. What do you want to change? What do you want to accomplish? So people will say, I want to have, I want to eliminate junk. I want to stop eating after dinner. I want to, you know, stop smoking. I want to be more mindful. I want mm. to stop screaming. I want to stop feeling out of control. Um, I'll tell you one of my best success stories. A woman came to me to lose weight. Now she maybe had 10 pounds that would have put her into a bikini, but to me, that is not a real weight loss need. You know what I mean? But yeah. that's why she came to me. And I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. And so she said, I have five kids, age teen to 20 something. They're all living at home. They're awful to me. I scream and nobody listens. My husband is awful to me. He tells me to shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, she said to me, I would kill myself, except my children need me. And I said to her, and you came to me to lose weight? Oh <laughs> and all the things in her life. So what I did was I helped her feel her power. Because I told her, you can't control your husband and you can't control your kids. But you can control the way you respond to them. Right. And you can control the way you allow them to affect you. When you respond to them differently, they will change. And I said to her, never raise your voice again. You'll say to your children, I don't like when you talk to me that way. I don't deserve it. I won't take it. And you leave the room. And you tell your husband the same thing. Well, and of course, we did some hypnosis with her feeling her power, taking back her power, giving her a voice, a quiet voice but letting her feel her power. She came back the following week with tears pouring down her face. I'm so nervous. Oh my gosh, what happened? She said, my children have all changed. I haven't raised my voice in a week. Mm. My husband apologized. Wow. Everything is different. And I said, why are you crying? She goes, because I have to keep coming to you for the rest of my life. Oh my <laughs> gosh. So, so you know, I think she never lost that 10 pounds, but I see her on Facebook. I love my family. I love my husband. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. Everything changed because her children didn't change. Her husband didn't change. When she changed, everything changed. Right. So you That's can't a beautiful control story. the people you work with. You can't control your children. You can't control anybody. You can only control yourself. And when you do that, everything else changes. I think that's so interesting because a lot of times people think that, you know, everything happens to them. Like this is mm -hmm. happening to me and I can't control exactly. it. But you can. You can and control you know how you react to I it. Say to my clients is, you have been a victim of all of these things. You can continue being a victim for the rest of your life. Or you can decide right now to take responsibility for your choices, your behaviors, and refuse to ever be a victim again. And no one can ever control you if you are not a victim. So victim mentality is a very popular mentality. You know, poor me, this person was bad, this happened to me, that happened to me. I can always show you somebody who's worse off. You know, my mother, who was brilliant beyond her years, you know, she was into hypnosis in her 20s, and she's gone, you know, she would be over 100 if she still were still alive. My mother was into hypnosis in her 20s to lose weight. <clears throat> She's the one that turned me on to Brian Weiss's books, Many Lives, Many Masters. He's a psychiatrist, and he discovered his client with reincarnation in a very 
weird way, and he wrote lots of books. And she turned me on to this. But one of the things my mother said to me was, she said she cried because she had no shoes until she met a man that had no feet. Mm. And she always helped give me perspective that you can always look at things in one way or you can always look at them in another way. Right. And anytime you think that, you know, you are, you're the victim and the worst things have happened to you, there's always somebody worse off that has coped and overcome it. So once you realize that being a victim doesn't work, it only keeps you in jail, it keeps you stuck in that powerless mindset. When I empower people that no matter what is going on in their life, you can change your thoughts and you can empower yourself. Because thoughts create feelings. Mm -hmm. And other people put thoughts into your head. You know, I had a guy that came to me that was very successful, had a good job, a nice family, he said to me, but I still feel like I'm not good enough. And I said, well, close your eyes and tell me whose voice is telling you that? He said, my mother's. I said, I want you to take that voice and make her sound like Porky Pig. Start to laugh. And I said, now take that voice and make it sound like Mickey Mouse. And now take that voice and make it mute. Because once he realized that if he could take his mother's voice and make it sound like Porky Pig, who could take that seriously? You're right. And that he could also shut it off, and he did. So very often we have things in our mind that were put there a really long time ago. So how does hypnotism support a blissful life? So when you learn how your brain works and you know what bliss feels like, and you identify what you would look like, feel like, and sound like if you were blissful, you create those images in your mind and you become blissful. So just by changing what you think about, so if you think about your most blissful moment, perhaps your best vacation, perhaps being with your favorite people, and how blissful that felt, every time you think about them, you have bliss in your life. So why not think about them more often than you think about something else? Mm, that's a good point. I was thinking about my wedding day at that moment. Yes. Walking down the aisle, I was like crying with tears of joy. And, and when I finally got there and stood next to my husband, everything, I think I was hypnotized. <laughs> I was in such a beautiful, loving state and I was so happy. I think I, think I need to think about that moment more often. And every time you close your eyes and you think about that moment, because your unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between reality or fantasy, you will be in that moment and feel those feelings. Mm. Just like you are every time something scary or negative happens. We become the movies we make in our minds. Why not make better movies? That's a very good point. In my first episode, I asked myself seven questions. Before we began, I asked Fern the seven questions and she chose to answer. Is your outlook on life looking through a glass that is half full or half empty? So without hesitating, because my clients ask me this or I offer this, I choose neither. I choose to believe that my cup runneth over. And if at any time I think it doesn't, I'm going to get a smaller cup. 
people that see their cuff half empty, they feel they're missing, that they just don't have enough. And people that see their, their glass half full, they think, okay, I feel optimistic. I choose to neither feel optimistic or pessimistic. I choose to feel blessed, grateful, and blissful. And therefore, I, if I have to get a shot glass to be my cup, <laughs> my cup runneth over all the time spilling over. And my grandmother always said, when she sat down to dinner with us at a holiday meal, she always looked around the table and said, oh, my cup runneth over. And I got that from my grandmother. What an amazing feeling mm. to feel that your cup runneth over that you have more and more and more than you could possibly need or want. That's my answer to that question. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Fern, for your time today. This has been a great experience for me and my listeners. If they would like oh, to... I'm so grateful that you reached out to me. I really am. It's, it's a wonderful opportunity to share this with people because hypnosis, as you see, is really amazing. And it's become very mainstream. I mean, mm. I have people calling me every day. You know, um, every day people call me for appointments and, and you know, there's so many different techniques that I do. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. And one of these days we may have, it, we, you may want to call and we could do a whole interview on, on tapping and meridian tapping. Mm. And um, look it up a little bit on YouTube and then let me know or we can talk offline. And um, it's a whole separate area that's really an amazing self-help modality. Oh, I see. Okay, a way to connect, to, to try to help yourself instead of um, using your sessions all the time. Is is that what exactly. you... Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So if, it, if anybody would like to get in contact with you, where do you suggest they go, or what is your phone number? Um, so my phone number is actually very easy to remember. It's 203-283-4566. Oh, very easy. I know. It's a very easy number. And um, and Healing Hypnosis is the name of my business. And My Healing Hypnosis is the name of my website, which has lots of great information that people can look at. Thank you so much for your time. And I Thank think you it's so a... much. I appreciate everything that you're doing to share bliss with the world. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm trying. And have a happy new year, Amy. Yes, thank you. You too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. If you have any questions or would like to work with me, visit my website at amyabraham.com. You can email me at amyabrahambliss at gmail.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram at amy 2 Abraham. And while you are there, use the hashtag amyabrahambliss when you are posting about things you learned from bliss. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share the bliss with a friend. See you next week.